Hi, this is episode 37 of K. Ray Reads to You. Today we have part one of chapter 14 of Absolute Zero by Helen Cresswell. Chapter 14 Mr. Bagthorpe did not, after all, have a whole ten days at the health farm feeling his way back into becoming human again. The zealous buried bones men, by way of advanced publicity, managed to get going a news story about the dog insured for one hundred thousand pounds. When Mr. Bagthorpe opened his newspaper at orange juice time and saw Zero gazing at him, he immediately shut his eyes and kept them shut for a full two minutes. While his eyes were closed, he thought frantically that he should have consulted his doctor before coming to the health farm. "'How do I know?' he wondered in anguish. "'whether I've got permanent brain damage. <clears throat> "'All that lettuce and carrot juice is not natural. "'Anyone creative should not tinker with their metabolism. "'Even if I open my eyes and find that hound wasn't there after all, "'I shall go home. I'm frightened.' "'When he had taken in the fact that a large photograph of Zero "'was indeed contemplating him mournfully from page four of his newspaper, "'he read the caption and, with mounting incredulity, the story.' He then went and told the director of the health farm that he would have to return home immediately, as there was a crisis in the family, which, if not strictly true, soon would be. When Mr. Bagthorpe got home, there was going to be a crisis. He did not telephone his wife to warn her of his impending arrival. He wanted to catch everybody out at whatever they were up to the moment his back was turned, and he himself weakened, probably permanently, he felt, by a diet of nuts and water. <clears throat> this way he could also, of course, make a really effective entrance. He arrived home just as Grandma and Daisy were being happy for the Borderland television people. P.J. had wanted them to be happy separately, but Grandma refused. "'I can only be really happy with Daisy,' she told him, "'and even then I will have to work myself up to being happy first. "'And how will you do that?' he inquired. "'There is only one way,' she answered. This turned out to be a filmed lecture by herself in the form of a guided tour of the photographs of Thomas in her room. There were dozens of these, all showing him at his worst, up a drain-pipe baring his teeth, for instance, or practicing unsheathing his claws, or staring malevolently into the lens, or just looking plain satanic. Grandma intended to wax exceedingly lyrical about him, and, if possible, get him posthumously into a pet-food advertisement— though she did not, of course, admit to this ulterior motive. P.J. resisted the whole idea for as long as he could, but in the end Grandma won. "'I am an old lady,' she said, "'and I think my wishes should be respected.' She admitted to being old when it suited her, and then retracted later. <coughs> P.J. eventually gave in, consoling himself with the thought that Thomas would be a strong candidate for pride of place on the cutting-room floor— despite keen competition for this. Once Grandma had warmed up to being happy by dwelling on the life and times of the late Thomas, <clears throat> she came downstairs and allowed herself to be arranged for filming in the sitting-room with Daisy. The latter was given Rosie's china t doll's tea-set and asked to pretend to have a tea-party with Grandma. This looked like a good idea until Daisy started pouring cups of tea for Arioch. "'Here you are, Arie,' she said plonking down a cup and saucer in a space on her left. "'I've put you lots of sugar in. I've put in four lumps. Would you like five? "'Daisy, dear,' 
said Grandma, rather edgily. "'Arioc isn't at this party. There are just you and me, dear.' "'And Arry,' replied the incorrigible Daisy. "'He's a bad boy, and just came without me asking.' "'I would like another lump of sugar, please,' said Grandma, jealously. Daisy dropped one in, and it splashed Grandma's frock, but she did not remark on this. "'This is a delicious cup of tea, Daisy,' she went on, gamely sipping at her mixture. "'You're not really supposed to drink it, Grandma Bag,' Daisy told her. "'It's all things mixed up.' Grandma uttered a little choking cry, but kept her cool admirably, aware that the cameras were still turning. "'The chocolate biscuits are real, I think,' she observed. "'I would like one of those, please.' "'I don't think there will be any left,' Daisy told her. "'They're Arioch's favorites.' She thereupon crammed two in her own mouth, and leaned over to put three on Arioch's plate, and lost balance and knocked the teapot into Grandma's lap. "'Ooh!' squealed Daisy. "'You bad boy, Arioch!' "'I think,' said Grandma dangerously, "'that Arioch had better go home. I think I may be getting near the end of my tether.' "'Cut!' shouted P.J. "'In the name of heaven, madam, can you not humour the child? "'It is the child's tea-party, "'and you are supposed to be her indulgent grandmother being happy with her.' "'Grandma drew herself up. "'I contracted,' she told him distantly, "'to look happy with Daisy. "'There was no mention of a third party. "'I think I acted as happy as anyone could reasonably have been expected to act "'under the circumstances.' "'It is not you who have to live with Arioch.' "'Am I to understand,' said Mr. Bagthorpe, "'who had been watching the scene unnoticed, "'that Arioch is still with us?' "'P.J. turned and favoured him with a cool glance. "'Do you mind, sir?' he said. "'We are involved in a very difficult scene.' "'As long as you remain in this house,' Mr. Bagthorpe told him, there is no way you are going to be able to avoid being in difficult scenes, this house, incidentally, being mine. Henry never did have any sense of timing, put in Grandma, hiding her delight at his reappearance. Ah! Comprehension dawned on the face of P.J. Mr. Happy Bagthorpe himself, I take it. I am not happy, returned Mr. Bagthorpe curtly. "'nor have I ever claimed to be.' "'But you said you wished you were a father,' Jack reminded him. "'You said you wished we could be happy like other families.' "'So I did,' agreed Mr. Bagthorpe heavily. "'Did you ever hear of a story called The Monkey's Paw?' "'Now that Mr. Bagthorpe was home, "'the chances of the family acting happy for Borderland Television decreased hourly. "'Grandma felt happy, but was careful not to show it. Grandpa was happy, too, but then he always was, which was why nobody ever took much notice of him. He went quietly on, leading his own happy life, side by side with the rest of the family, running on a parallel track, as it were, with only occasional junctions. In the end, there was quite a lot about Grandpa in the Christmas Day film, because he was the only one, Daisy apart, who came over as genuinely happy. All the others were overacting. The hardest thing of all for P.J. to achieve was to get Mr. Bagthorpe to do his little piece. Mr. Bagthorpe, to do him justice, had originally intended to make an effort to cooperate. What had changed his mind was the subtle, 
but definite change in his appearance that had been affected by his stay at Tallboy's. Mr. Bagthorpe had been lean and rangy to start with, and had not needed to lose weight. It seemed, however, as the director of the health farm had explained, that the process of draining poisons from anybody's system involved necessarily a loss of weight. Mr. Bagthorpe, then, was now hollow-eyed and interesting-looking as never before. He had not failed to remark this while shaving, and was on the whole pleased about it. He often wondered whether people took either himself or his work seriously enough. Now that he had a distinct touch of the consumptive about him, and was to appear on television, he thought that if perhaps he acted drawn and struggling with a demon, his reputation would take a sharp upward turn. Mr. Bagthorpe and P.J. therefore became locked in a deadly battle of wills, the former having the advantage because he was distinctly mettlesome after his period of fasting, and the latter approaching a state of stupefaction after a pounding week spent with Mr. Bagthorpe's relatives. When P.J., after a particularly haunted session in the study, shouted, "'Hell, man, you're not the dying Keats!' Mr. Bagthorpe was satisfied that he had struck the right note, and kept to it from then on. He tried acting in this pale and interesting way with his family as well, even when Borderland TV was not there, but cut no ice with them. In any case, he could only keep it up so long as he was not being goaded, and most of the time people were goading him. And that's the end of Part 1 of Chapter 14. See you next time.